0: morning everybody it's good to see you would you all stand up with us as we open with a few songs of worship You were condemned I am alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again A joy do you want? In all I do, I honor you. In all I do, I honor you. Lord, we love you so much. It's such an honor to be able to gather together, to sing worship to you, to hear from your word, to learn more about you. I pray that you'll speak to us today in your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat.
1: Good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, man. It's a, it's a slow start in the morning, especially with these masks on, so uh, let's try it again. Uh, happy Sunday. Yeah, that works better. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, it's so good to see you. Again, uh, just a few things before we get started uh, and continue in worship. A reminder, we're, we're doing this three times now. We're doing it at 9, at 10.30, and at 12. And especially if you're watching um, via stream, uh, just a reminder, we'd love for you to come and be a part of this as you can. And as space allows, we're still looking at 50 people is our registration. So we'll continue that till. Uh, the governor tells us we can do different uh, We've got signups for next week's gathering that will immediately be, av- be available on the website or actually in the afternoon This afternoon you'll be able to do that. So head to door of uh, And you can sign up for that uh, Reminder the ground floor is open, but downstairs is not Wait, yeah, that's right Uh, downstairs is not so we want you to use the bathroom in the rotunda which is right back here and in order if you'd like to use the giving box it's directly behind us through the rotunda back here Uh, we continue to ask if you will uh, to wear a mask uh, as you're as you're entering and leaving and uh, please observe social distancing and uh, reminder that josh is going to be available after every sermon or or whoever's preaching out this, this back door, we ask you to leave through this door, not this door, uh, and get a chance to spend some time personally. That uh, we want to spend time with you. Josh wants to see you, so he's looking forward to that. And I see him back there, and he's half the man he used to be. I didn't realize it was him for just a minute, so I'm not sure. I won't even go into that. Uh, baptisms are coming up. We have not done this uh, since the COVID. Uh, so November the eighth. Uh, We're going to be celebrating baptism. We look at this as a a special time uh, to allow people that have placed their faith in Jesus to be baptized. It's a great time of celebration for us. Uh, And so if you would like to join us, you can do that. We'll be doing it at our Northeast building, which is on 8th and Fremont at 2 p.m., uh, on the 8th. Uh, so come and join us if you'd like. If you plan to come, again, the same thing, uh, face mask, uh, social distancing. Uh, and if you would like to be baptized, you can uh, just reach out to us and you can learn more about it by heading to the doorofhopepdx.org uh, area and clicking uh, events. You can find out how to do that. And then you can email Gina at doorofhopepdx.org if you have any questions. Um, With that, this may seem like, didn't y'all just do that? But you'll understand in a minute. Can I have the elder candidates come up? Uh, We are in a season right now, if you weren't uh, with us a few weeks ago when we had these gentlemen come up, we're in the season of having new elder candidates uh, come and, and be considered as part of our elder body uh, and uh, we as an elder-led church look at this as a great and high calling. We look at it as biblical. We look at this as God in reaching into our body and pulling up from within uh, people that will be responsible uh, for shepherding, uh, for leading, and for loving this body. So we look at this as, as a high and holy calling. Uh, So when we had these up a couple of few weeks ago, we just wanted you to know their names so you could be praying for them. We are at the point now where according to our bylaws and the way we go about things, we want to give you a couple of weeks, two weeks, uh, to engage with us as elders uh, if you have any issues uh, with these gentlemen before we as an elder body uh, vote on them to to extend the invitation to them to come to be on the board. They've all agreed at this point that if we do that, they will serve. Uh, so you have two weeks. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to any of the elders, but specifically, if you want to uh, send something in writing, send it to Tim at doorofhopepdx.org, and he will he will share that with the rest of the body with Tim Smith. Uh, so with that, I'm going to ask Josh, if he would, to come on up and I'll reintroduce you. I'm going to ask Josh to pray for these guys. Uh, but Matt By over here on the far side here in the middle, Mark Atherton. And then we have Tim Clevenger here. Uh, and Josh, would you pray for them as we transition? Yeah,
2: these are great guys. Uh, let's pray for them. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for these men. We thank you for their faithfulness at Door of Hope. Uh, Lord, everyone that has become an elder uh, at this church uh, since it has been established 11 years ago uh, have been men that have been identified by the community as people that are being that are already serving, engaged, uh, and known. And uh, I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would guide uh, this process and that you would uh, provide the oversight and the protection for this community uh, that we need in these days. And so I thank you for these men and their families and pray blessing over them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks guys. All right. Well, hello everyone. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I'm on the last week. It's not the last week. But I'm on the week that, to be done with the house so that I can move in. And I, on Thursday, I worked until 3 a.m. I, was, I worked from like 5 a.m. till 3 a.m. And I, was, I, I used to run a restoration painting company, so I feel really qualified to paint. Never done stain before. And if you've never done stain before and you've painted all your walls white, and you do stain at two in the morning when you're really exhausted it's just a bad idea and uh, my my hands turned orange like I put them in a tanning bed by themselves uh, my my white walls had stained down in the, and then the color didn't match and then the next morning I'm like, I hate this house. I don't want to live here. This is stupid <laughs> so it's coming together though we're getting there. oh man I survived this I I, I make an oath to all of you to never take on another house. No, that's not true. That won't happen. Um, let's just pray that it's more churches. That's what we. That's what we want more of. Uh, well, I am excited as we enter into the insanity of uh, COVID era presidential election. it's our our votes are due on Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a time where I think a lot of people are asking, what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus in this day? Uh, and how do we actually maintain, uh, in the climate in which we find ourselves, how do we maintain uh, an active disposition of witness, especially when we've been told that the primary emphasis of What it means to be believers uh, is that we are to be engaged with people, Uh, and yet in this time which we find ourselves, uh, we're told to do the opposite of that, which is to distance ourselves from one another. Uh, And the impact of that distancing is being felt. I, I heard a new term. This is the year of new terms, where I don't, I don't think I'd ever used the word social distance before March. Uh, And now I heard the new term of COVID fatigue. Uh, Yeah, uh, COVID fury uh, might be more accurate for me, but I I just am feeling the truthfulness of the scripture. It is not good that man be alone. And we have got to figure out as a community, uh, how do we follow Jesus in, in a day and an age, which I believe when we come out of this, it is going, we're gonna find ourselves increasingly as we move not far behind Europe toward an increasingly post-Christian, a post-Christian era in our country uh, and where everything has been politicized to such incredible degrees and the philosophies uh, that are infiltrating our our entertainment and our schools, all of these things are gonna put a pressure upon believers like we've never experienced before. Uh, I've, I've half seriously said that this might be the great purging of the church where faith that actually is saving becomes demonstrated in lives that are willing to lay down everything for Jesus no matter what the cost. Uh, and this is something that I'm wrestling through Uh, in this time as what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do we do evangelism when, and how do we say that the church is a place where we are inviting the world in and yet we have to sign up to get in? Uh, I'm wrestling through these things like never before. And I know know the, the elders are and the staff and other churches throughout the area. And this is why we need to discipline ourselves in the practice of faith. And we don't think of faith in terms of a spiritual discipline, but I would argue that it is absolutely a necessary discipline for pretty much everything that we do. Now, I know I've been, as we get into spiritual disciplines, people are expecting me to jump into scripture and prayer and fasting and generosity and we'll get to those things and you may be thinking that the disciplines that i've covered thus far are more abstract but they're actually the foundations for everything surrender confession and here faith which is really the grounds of everything and this is why i call this the disciplines of grace Uh, because we have to keep ourselves anchored in the gospel and not fall into the trappings of a legalism where we are doing a bunch of things to earn God's favor because that cannot be the motivation for what we do. I want to just begin with this statement. Faith is a gift, so use it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith... And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So here we are told that our salvation is a gift that comes to us freely through the finished work of Jesus. Everything that needs to be done has been done in the total, perfect, finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is why the cross is the first pillar of door of hope. And this is why we talk about Christ and him crucified. It's not that we don't care about resurrection. It's that we don't believe that you can talk about resurrection unless first there was death. And this is why we refer to the cross of Calvary as the good death. For it is the place where Jesus identified not just with our humanity but with our sin. And he actually took it to its final place. That is he killed it. He killed sin. (laughs) He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the dominions of darkness. And it is through that finished work that we find now access because we know the story. Death could not keep him on the third day. He rose again. Metamorphosis, new creation. He is the firstborn over a new creation and we are the children of that new creation. So what does it mean then to receive this gift? Well, we're told that Jesus did the saving and essentially we did the sinning. And I I think about Hebrews 12 too, it says that looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, notice that, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, he's the beginning and the end of our faith. He is the architect of our faith. Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, demonstrated for us what it means to live by faith because everything he did was what? That which pleased the Father. A total surrender, a continual confession of the kingdom of God and a call to repentance to the people to turn their eyes to him and to put their faith in him who is the visible representation of the invisible God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And it says, for the joy that was set before him and you and I are that joy endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have to begin by asking, okay, this is, this is faith. Well, how do we define it? How do we define it? Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us a definition of faith, but I think that it is uh, that maybe the most helpful uh, definition of faith uh, is, is a, a definition that Karl Barth gave kind of Paraphrasing Hebrews 11.1 1, when he says faith is letting Jesus Christ be for me what I am not and cannot be for myself. Major Ian Thomas said faith is allowing the Holy Spirit to occupy the whole of your personality with the adequacy of Christ. Tozer said, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. I think that Bart and Thomas get much closer to the truth of it. That faith is a disposition toward Christ that allows Christ the freedom to be Christ in and through our lives. How important is faith to the Christian life? It is so essential that Jesus himself said, you believe in God, believe also in me for in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he says, this belief, belief in me as the way, the truth, and the life, it's not just, I believe Jesus exists, it's not even just believing that Jesus is the Son of God, it is a belief that says, I will leave all to follow you. I think that faith is so important that in Romans chapter 14 verse 23 it says whoever doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Wow, take that to heart. The question around <laughs> around what does it mean to be a saint in light of the fact that we are sinners? Well, saints are nothing more than sinners who are forgiven and sinners that are forgiven are people who recognize that they are not innocent (laughs) and the power of the first statement from the cross jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do is the power of the of the indictment that we are not innocent and our guilt actually puts us into a place where we are able to receive god's forgiveness into our lives this statement that whatever is not done in faith is sin shows that we are in a predicament that sin is something that is increasingly collective as we enter into this modern technological globalized age where sin is an impossible thing to escape we are inundated with a multitude of voices that are fighting against the very will of god And often compelling and convincing us within the church that the ways of the world are often better than the ways of God. And we can sit in the pew and listen to the gospel be preached and still go back to a a life that is not lived by faith in Christ. But it is a life that is lived by faith in the multitude of pithy statements said about the possibilities of human, human endeavor. That we tend to believe more in ourselves only to find ourselves continually frustrated by that faulty foundation. Why? Because it's sin. Sin is a rebellion against God's rule in our lives. And our faith in Christ, that surrender to Christ, should be a disposition that gives Christ the ability now to be a witness to himself by his spirit through us as conduits of his very presence. And the question for us as a church is, are we conduits of his presence right now? Do we reveal to the world a disciplined faith? Hebrews eleven six six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You remember what Jesus was asked by the Jews when he was teaching, he said, they said, tell us what we must do to do the work of God And he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It always comes back to faith. And faith is a gift. It comes to us freely. Our faith in Jesus cannot happen unless first the spirit actually gives us the ability to believe. We can't see light if we're blind. and We can't have life if we're dead. Something supernatural has to happen. But that gift that is given, when we respond to the drawing of the spirit and the illumination that I refer to as that Holy Spirit salve that comes onto the eyes that allows the gaze of the soul to see that Jesus is everything that he said he is, we have to be more than I believe that it's true, it's a belief that actually takes us somewhere. We have to learn how to exercise the gift I I think about this at Christmas, I was the first kid in my town, in my little farming town in Kennewick to get the Nintendo and it was a gift. But how useless would that gift have been had it just sat in the box? No, I exercised that gift until I mastered Super Mario Brothers discovering even the minus world and getting the maximum score possible which causes the game to reset. You know how many hours I invested? So many hours that I will probably have to give an answer to the Lord someday for the amount of time. And that's why I always say we're all exercising faith. And faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. But the, but the point is, is that the gifts that are given must be, must be worked out. They must be invested in. And this is why when he says whatever is not done, in faith is sin and that it is impossible to please God without faith It's saying that even if it's something that is initiated by the spirit, it is something that is maintained by the believer in the freedom that God has given to us as we come alive in him. And that's why I say only the born again believer is truly free but the moment you're free there is a terrible responsibility in that freedom because that freedom means that we have the freedom to go a million directions. When we know the truth. If there is only one way, that means there's a thousand ways to fall. And this is why we have to understand that our faith is something that must be exercised. It can't just be, it can't sit in this, the position of simple ascent. It must become active. And this is why we have to consider first a faith that pursues. Next week we're going to be getting into the discipline of seeking God through the scriptures. And, and I think that I wanna establish that our faith in Christ, the living word, uh, comes, uh, helps us understand how to apply the written word, which is continually pointing us to him. Uh, so a faith that pursues, in Hebrews chapter 20, 10, verses 22 through 23, it says, let us draw near to God Notice, that is something we are called to do. As born-again believers who have been empowered by the Spirit, we now have the ability to access intimacy with God. God is a God who pursued us in our sinfulness, but the moment he sets us free, he invites us into a relationship. And just like a marriage, both people must pursue one another for that marriage to be successful. We are in a covenant relationship with Jesus. And that, that means that we have a faith now that pursues. If faith is, is hope in things not seen, and in, in the assurance of things that are hoped for, then that, that we need to understand that, that this is something that requires a daily drawing near. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Isn't that a beautiful thing that our faith in Christ, that disposition of trust toward Christ. It's another word that Jesus uses that we don't really use in our modern vernacular but I think is a powerful word we shouldn't lose which is the word abide. It's what it means, faith, a faith that pursues is a faith that remains in a Christ that is actually taking us or leading us somewhere. Remember, the primary statement of Jesus, from Jesus' lips was always what? Follow me. <laughs> follow me. Without ever saying where he was going. Because our disposition of trust toward Christ is a disposition that, that causes us to follow him wherever he goes. And we know it doesn't matter where he takes us as long as he's the one leading. And it says, it says that we have had our guilty conscience cleansed, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly. To the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Notice the two things that faith, uh, that faith demands. The saving faith demands. Is drawing near and holding fast. Both of those are active on our side. We don't just stand still. We don't let go and let God. We let go and then we cling to God. We hold fast to him. This, this drawing near uh, is, is, is something that's essential. If we're going to persevere, we have to continually draw from the life of God himself. This is the call to intimacy that has been made possible by the work of Jesus. This is about immediate access, but that access is something that we have to actually push into. We have to, we have to by faith, begin to exercise the, the gift of salvation that has been given to us draw near to God and he will draw near to you and I I think that that sadly because of sin we find it much more natural to drift or run from God than draw near to him it's that gravitational pull of the world, the devil, and the flesh downward that at times makes drawing near to God seem like the most unnatural thing we could possibly do. And this is why the most honest prayer that you can find in, in scripture is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, I, I shared a couple weeks ago that quote from uh, Malcolm Muggeridge when he said, only dead fish go with the current. Uh, and, and we need to recognize as, as a people that have been brought alive by the Spirit of God, we are, we are not called to assimilate to the world, but to be a witness in the world. And the way that we are to be witnesses in the world is to figure out together as communities of faith how to elude the world's systems so that we can continue to be a pointer to the saving reality of Christ. It's what it means to be light and salt and sheep amongst wolves. We are to continually witness to the sacrificial reality of the living Christ. A a Christ who is not content to exist without sinners. He is on a saving mission and he wants to save through us. And this requires a faith that continually draws near to God. And this this is the thing that I think where the enemy and the voices of this world can get us so guilt ridden as followers of Jesus because we've seen the disparity between the ideal and where we actually are. And this is why I started with this idea of surrender and confession, because the power of the gospel is, is not our ability to no longer sin. The power of the gospel is that we can in the words of martin luther sin boldly that seems like a really offensive statement and luther was the master of really on the surface seeming like he was making almost blasphemous statements because he wasn't actually encouraging people to sin what he was saying is that you can't live even an hour through your day without sin we sin boldly only because we know we are forgiven fully And what he's saying by that, he says, sin boldly, but love the mercy of Jesus even more. Our ability to actually live sanctified lives, to begin to move toward transformation, is to accept the verdict that we are sinners so that we can receive into our lives the grace that is available. But this requires a a drawing near. And every time we draw near to God, what does the drawing near do? It reveals the brokenness and the sinfulness in our lives. I can't come into the light without the light exposing the darkness in my life. And it doesn't matter how long I've been walking with Jesus. In fact, I would argue the longer I walk with Jesus, the more sinful I see myself the more I see the nuances of my own self-deception, the ways that I function in unbelief, the ways that I forget to draw upon Jesus for his leadership and his direction and how quickly and impulsively I can be the one making decisions for my own life. And the power of the gospel is that the more I recognize that, the more I can cast myself in total dependence upon him. It is by faith that I continue to trust Jesus for my salvation, but each step toward Christ he may reveal the darkness within us but it actually from the outsider's perspective begins to become a demonstration more and more of the actual life of Jesus our trust in Christ should lead to the world seeing Christ in us more than they see the brokenness of our own existence and I think what draws the world in is that that we in humility recognize and confess our brokenness and invite broken people to come and eat from the bread of life with the rest of us broken people Uh, this is the power of the gospel but it requires a drawing near and a holding fast let us hold unswervingly in spite of the challenges that we face we must stay committed to Christ clinging to him Faith must be active in order to be effective. I love what Major uh, Ian Thomas once said, an illustration of a faith that is active. He said he went to the gas station once uh, to get gas uh, in a town where he was looking for. Um, a, a friend who was there, he was supposed to come and visit him, but he, he was a little bit lost. So he pulled into the gas station, filled up, and he asked the attendant how to get to this address. This is long before GPS. Major Ian Thomas has gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago. Uh, and I think he gave this message in the 70s. So, you know, this is when you're just dealing with maps and he was confused. And the attendant said, okay, you go up this street, take a left, then take a right at, this, at the second block you go past this, you know, colored house and it'll be up here on the left. And, and he said, as the young man spoke to me the directions, I knew that he knew exactly what he was talking about and I believed him fully. I believed every word that he shared. The question is, is had I arrived? No. The faith that works was a faith that actually put into motion the instruction that I believed. And it wasn't until I arrived at the house that my faith in that man's word actually meant anything. And I think that that is a powerful illustration of this this merging of, of the discipline of faith, uh, the disciplining of the gift of salvation, the gift of faith being now worked out to actually bring about change and transformation to work toward that goal, holding fast, is, is something that we have to learn how to enter into. The preacher in Hebrews knows how easy it is to give up if we do not understand. And so it is that like Simon Peter, when he says, when Jesus says, do you want to abandon me also? When his teachings got hard, we need to get to that place where we can say with Peter, Lord, where shall I go? You alone hold the words to life. And I would ask the question of of flight from the responsibility of faith is, of course, convenient solution for an intolerable situation. But is that how you want to live? Because too often we give up our faith so that we can fit into our society. It's a sad thing when Christians now are just simply associated in the mass uh, at least at least in urban environments Christians are simply associated with a particular political party and it's been politicized to the point where the the gospel can can almost be rendered ineffective as we now are dealing with a battle of rhetoric i was listening to a commentator just say recently with such profundity he's like the left wants to point Everyone on uh, to paint everyone on the right as somehow Nazis, and the right wants to paint everyone on the left as somehow communist. And then he goes, I've met people that voted for our current president, they weren't Nazis, and I've met people that voted for Bernie Sanders and they weren't communists. He's like, We have to break through the rhetoric because America is going to tear itself apart. With so much internal hatred uh, that that we are we might ruin ourselves, and I promise you that Americans seem to hate Americans more than anyone else hates us right now. I think everyone's just annoyed by by the infighting and the battling, and half of it's because there is no honest reporting, and we're constantly being confronted with with overstatements and hyperbole uh, to the point where it creates and weaponizes language and creates an animosity uh, that makes it very difficult for us to navigate those lines as Christians because we don't get to choose uh, who we are to be witnesses to. Jesus' love extends to the left and to the right. In fact, I don't think he thinks in those categories at all. And I think that what we have to understand is that the gospel uh, demands a disciplined faith, especially a faith that can navigate in a healthy way the incredible tensions that we are facing. And the question is: is that as our faith is our faith pursuing Jesus in a way that brings honor to Him? And this is why we need a faith that trusts, not just a faith, not just a faith that pursues but a faith that trusts. It says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Faith is seen as a stance that we take on before God and in this moment. God's response to that stance is he gives us freedom and holiness. Our holiness comes from our connectivity, our abiding in him, our trusting in him, moment by moment, not just the initial I believe, Jesus, you're the Son of God, save me from my sin, give me your Holy Spirit, and then we're good. Faith is done. No, faith. it's a daily exercising, that disposition. And I believe that it is the stance of faith, the continued act of dependence, that actually gives God the freedom to give us a liberation and a holiness that the world desperately needs to see manifested practically intangibly this is why jesus said let not your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me he's asking his disciples to trust in him and to trust in what he is about to do even before they can understand it they didn't understand what he was going to do they didn't understand what he did after after his resurrection They still were confused and it wasn't until they were filled with the Holy Spirit that they were able to actually even see with any kind of clarity what it is he was asking them to trust. He said, trust me, do you trust me? And if you trust me, then you can follow me even when you don't understand. Understanding often comes. I always say that this is why we have to become eventual finders. We can't just stay perpetual seekers. Uh, The the, the fact is too many people say, I'm not going to put my faith in Christ until I understand everything. You will never understand everything. You have to begin that journey of faith as you start understanding begins to expand. I often say that, uh, that we apprehend before we comprehend. And I think that that is almost always true. Uh, in fact, faith increases as we continue to press in to the one whom we trust. As we continue to lean into him, the Red Sea didn't part until Moses first got in the water. And I think that often it requires a step of faith, uh, it's what Uh, Alan Redpath said that faith is stepping into the dark onto a rock and I think that we need to understand that our understanding comes as the outworking of our taking that step of faith into at times what may feel like the unknown. Darcy and I had no no idea of what Door of Hope would be become we felt called to start a church without fully knowing if even if it would work that step of faith trusting that Jesus was leading us and I remember it was a calm confidence that Jesus I don't know I feel like you're calling us to do this and I'm trusting you and I'm trusting that even if I'm making the wrong step because I so desperately want to honor you I believe that if it fails it's because you're you're redirecting my my desire to honor you. And it was that calm confidence that allowed us to step into what would seem like a very scary thing. It's like the Lord gave us a supernatural faith to believe him for the church, but we still didn't know what was gonna happen and we put everything on the line for it. And, it was, and God immediately began to reveal himself. The understanding and the vision for the church almost came out of the, the move toward making it so. It was, you know, God began to show, I didn't know if people would come, but you can't know until you do a service, right? (laughs) So there's always a call to a certain level of faith. There's faith every time I preach, I'm terrified and feel nauseous. It doesn't matter if it's 20 people or a thousand people and I I have to get onto the stage to discover whether God's gonna show up and sometimes he leaves me hanging It's possible he's doing that right now. I don't know. I'm very tired. (laughs) We need not only a faith that trusts, but we also need a faith that obeys. Look what it says in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Notice what he says immediately after that. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about belief. Notice what he's saying is that A faith that saves is a faith that works. That our obedience to the son, because what does it say? Whoever believes, whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised Him from the dead shall be saved. When we confess those three words, Jesus is Lord, what are we essentially saying? That he is the authority in our lives. That he has the final word that our allegiance to him is our obedience to him, that he alone has the right to dictate and define for us what our ethics shall be. If Jesus says you should honor the marriage covenant, that you should love your enemies, that you should and you just read through the Sermon on the Mount and you see the ethics of the kingdom played out and you see how foreign those ethics are to the world. The world can say they're great teachings, but does the world live by those teachings? It does not. If we say that our allegiance is to King Jesus, then we don't get to pick and choose what he teaches to adhere to for our lives. Our faith in Christ should be represented, intimacy and relationship with him should be revealed in our loyalty to him and to his kingdom and to his total authority over our lives. We live in an anti-authoritarian age and that also plays itself out in the church. One of the most popular books out right now, New York Times bestseller for months and months and months, is all about a woman who was essentially grew up a born-again Christian, her marriage fell apart, she has found a way to reject her Christian upbringing in order to to justify her absolute rejection of Jesus's ethics and his lordship. The only way she can do that is to basically reject the scripture in its totality. I believe now in a nameless God, the God that I find within myself. I actually made myself read the book just so that I could have conversations with, the, with the, the amount of people that I've met that, that read it and are getting so much out of it. And it's just like the worst diatribe of like Instagram aphorisms mixed with new age and pseudo Christian language. And it's and it a full blowout of God is within you listen to your own inner voice, define for yourself who you will be and let no one define it. She even goes as far as to say, I will no longer live by the scriptures that were written by men. I'm like, okay. Whatever helps you sleep at night, right? No, he who believes in the Son has eternal life and the one who believes in the Son is the one who obeys the Son. Finally, a faith that works. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. And how does it work? It works through love. Faith working through love. Faith working through love. A faith that works is a faith that is manifested in our ability to love. The only tangible evidence that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ is our ability to love. Love, we are told, is the only debt that is never paid in full. Love is the outworking of a disciplined faith. For a faith in Christ allows the God who is love to actually come and dwell within us the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the spirit it's the it, that faith that works is a faith that allows us to know that on our worst days God is crazy about us which gives us the ability to be conduits of that same message to a lost and broken world and this is the question that I have for you how do you know if you have a disciplined faith how well do you love not the people that's easy for you to love How well do you love your enemy? How well do you love the people that whoever they are, and there seems to be so many possibilities right now, of the people that can infuriate you? Who is the object of your wrath? Because I'm tired of seeing Christians vent on the world. We don't have the right to communicate vitriol and hatred toward anyone if Jesus Christ is indeed our Lord. Hey, if you haven't given your allegiance to Jesus, you are your own king, you are your own queen, you can make those decisions. But a Christian, one who has been born again, has no right to speak hatred of anyone because all men and women are made in the image of God. Even though that image has been deeply marred and the outworking of sin is felt everywhere in every arena of life, we know what we have been saved for and he who has been forgiven much loves much. The outworkings of a disciplined faith is the ability to love. I close with this quote from Jacques Ellul that gives us such great insight into what it means to practice faith. He says, in a civilization that no longer knows what life is, the most useful thing that Christians can do is precisely to live. And the life held in faith has remarkably explosive power. We no longer realize it because we no longer believe in anything but efficiency. And life is not efficient. What a powerful (laughs) quote. Isn't that the truth? Life isn't necessarily efficient, but it is a gift, and it is to be lived out in faith, and it is modeled in our ability to be conduits of God's grace, his radical one-way love. May Door of Hope not lose sight of what it means to be a witnessing church, and we've gotta figure out how to witness in an age where we're told we can't be together. So pray for this church, pray for leadership, I pray for you, but let us push against the lies of this world as we witness to our King and we continue to declare to everyone that there is a God in heaven who loves with an everlasting love, repent and turn to him for he alone is the answer to the world's dilemmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for faith. I do pray that we would learn what it means to exercise our trust in you, to daily discipline ourselves, to pursue you, to trust you, to work out our belief in you by our ability to love. Lord Jesus, forgive us for our unbelief. We believe, help our unbelief. We believe, help us to obey, that the world might know that we are your children and that many would come to know you. We pray these things in your name, amen. Thanks guys.
0: Would you all stand with us? Um, At the close of these songs, we'll be taking communion together, and there will be some prayer available up front. Um, If you didn't pick up communion on your way in, there's some available at the front desk there. You could go get it now. Um, But before that, we're going to sing a couple songs. Prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and whole. Oh mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: His betrayal. He took a small plastic container. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so irreverent. Um, he took a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. And the bread, he, he said, This is my body broken for you. He blessed it, he broke it. He said, Eat this in remembrance of me. We remember every time we eat of the bread that Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. So let's eat that in remembrance of him. Spongy. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of a new covenant, his blood that would be spilled for the forgiveness of many spilled for the sins of humanity and he said I want you to drink this in remembrance of me because it reminds us that the power is in the blood life is in the blood and it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin past present and future and so let us drink this cup of forgiveness right now together Jesus, we love you. We remember you. We believe in you. Help our unbelief. May our faith be worked out in love. We pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great day.